Welcome to the Charity Network News Podcast, inspiring you to make the world a better place. Our host is Lex Lumiere, an award-winning therapeutic artist whose family legacy includes over a hundred years of art exhibits and providing artwork for international non-profit fundraisers. In our show, you'll hear mind-blowing interviews from philanthropy leaders or creative souls, as well as news and insights to help you make a positive impact in your community. Now let's jump into your daily dose of juice. Please join us in creating excellence. Lex Lumera. I'm with the United States Department of Arts and Culture as a citizen artist. And today I'm here with Terry Tova Wilkinson. She is a student of psychology and is en route to get her doctorate and hoping to open her own clinic in the next two years. And we met during the annual Super Feast in Houston, which actually serves about 3.3 million people between Thanksgiving and Christmas with holiday meals and toys and food. And Dr. T was there doing uh, her COVID testing. And so that is actually how we met. So Dr. T, tell me a little bit about your journey and how you began uh, into medicine. Well, I think that, had coming from a, fam- a medical background in my family, my great great grandmother, uh, Frida Rice, had the first nurses registry in the history of the United States and helped to write federal legislation on nursing in 1950. Wow! So then from there it went to my great grandmother Olinda, Olinda Nemitz, who uh, owned part of a hospital, the Mayo Clinic, our cousins. So of, of New York, you know, so Lavinia Mayo is, is the, that's where that comes from. And then my grandmother helped to write nursing, uh, geriatric gerontology legislation with Governor Shivers of Texas in the 50s. And she had nursing homes. So it was sort of like if I wanted to get inheritance, I needed to go ahead with what they thought. <laughs> And I liked it because it, it helped people. It was all about helping people, you know. And I think that, you know, when I was little, I used to go into nursing homes and sing to sing to the patients and comb their hair and read to them because I think I always had that caring attitude. Yeah, you have to care about people to do any type of medicine, you know. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's a gift. Generosity is a gift. You know, compassion is a gift. Yeah, uh, empathy, compassion, and I think a genuine concern for public health. And, uh, you know, I have a general concern for my community. I'm a person in the environment. I'm a person in environment, right? So in order to be a person in environment, you have to be more than just a person. It's in environment, meaning community, meaning how do I fit in as a member of the community? And that's care, collaboration and communicate. Hmm. So in your journey, how did art kind of play a role in that as you were growing up? Well, that's what I loved most about my mom. My mom never did anything. She was an heiress. And so she just did art. I mean, we had, we had a room with a kill. We had another room for oil painting. We had another room for drawing. My mother had a 32 room house. And so every room was an art 
art, you know, she decorated the room. So art played a role in many aspects of my emotions. One is feeling pretty, feeling privileged because each room had like the White House, you know, a different theme. She used to fly designers in to do stuff. And my room was always, every six months she changed the venue in my room. So that was really cool. And uh, so I always had somebody flying in from Germany or Vienna or somewhere doing something with my room. Mother was real good about designing it. And then she'd have someone else do the work and she'd check it with another designer to see if she, cause she was a layman, you know. But mother always did art. And one thing that helped me is I, I, had, I was predisposed genetically to major depression as a child. Uh, bipolar and mental, mental illness, well, mental illness is a genetic defect in our family. And it, it, it hits first and second generation children. And so if your mother's bipolar, the major depression comes, my first child's bipolar and my second one's major depression. And it just kind of goes like that through the family. It's just what it is. And so my mother's art was not only the way that she was able to manage her emotions, but it was the way of me also feeling calm when I was upset and I didn't know why I was depressed. And so mother would 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 sit me down and watch her do stuff. Or if I was really upset about something, like my somebody dying in the community or something, my friend not wanting me to come over and sleep over, whatever it may be, right? From the most serious to the not so serious, right? Then it was my mother's art that gave me a sense of in another world where I didn't have to think about my stress but I could relieve it by escaping into the art world of my mother. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really helpful to me. What did you like doing? Were you a painter? Did you like the watercolors? I th- I'm, I'm a fan. I, I took art appreciation in high school and college. And, and to be honest, I can't draw a straight line. Mother, mother was wonderful. Um, I <laughs> love oil painting oil painting and china painting my mother fired stuff up she did ceramics in china and so i did one thing in my whole life with my mother on art that was i did a peach on a china plate and and she had 18 karat gold around the plate like the lining and then it was a real china and i drew a a peach on it because that's all I could do at seven years old. And mother fired it away and put it on the wall. <laughs> she was excited. Yeah, she was. Uh, mother always wanted me to do art. I just, I was, I was, I used to read a book a day. And, and that was my thing was books. And I loved books. I was real nerdy, yeah. loved experiments. I loved doing experiments. And so uh, that, that all is the basis of science is the basis of any medical, whether it be mental field or medical field. Uh, and, and actually mental is medical. Many people want to separate mental and medical. But at the end of the day, if you're not medically managed with a, a mental illness, then you can't stabilize your mood and that's just what right. it is. and so you can and we hope that there will be as there will be in my clinic alternative therapies for those that don't want to take medicine we have proven through research that things like art therapy you know it, different types of alternative therapy especially exercise can actually increase serotonin levels and dopamine levels so that is why i'm doing this interview is because i totally advocate for art therapy 
because yeah. it helped me. I think it helps put people in a better state because they purge their emotions. You know, even if it's a, one of the things I gave my nephew for the holidays was a, a, a doodle book and it gives you different scenarios of things to doodle just because he had had a uh, incident in school like two weeks ago where there was a kid that brought a gun to school, an eighth grader bought a gun and then gave it to a kid in his class. And his plan was to shoot at the class for a game initiation and so all the kids you know they're they're 12 years old and I was like this is how we're going to purge out some of your emotions so that way when you have these kind of days or you have rough days you have somewhere that you can kind of vent you know besides talking to us but for them you know it's a lot to deal with and I think that art gives you that leverage to kind of express yourself right kids don't always want to talk to their parents right (laughs) I think that's true, and I think also that you, you as a uh, investigator, whether it be in a psychologist role or a social worker role or a mental health worker role, to see what's going on with the child. If you watch what they're drawing, what they're right. painting, you can tell a lot about how they're feeling, mm-hmm. right? So right. we know the recent history of those uh, children that have gone and shot at the students at school when you look at the artwork they did it was clear those that killed their it was clear nobody was taking their art seriously to say oh this is him funneling his ideas and emotions on paper or in his painting right and so they could have stopped all that and they didn't parents did not get them help they didn't take it seriously neither did the school teacher neither you know so right, it's just them doodling. <laughs> right. right. Or, or this person's just gothic. She's in the gothic stuff. Well, you know, that's exciting, but we need to make sure that it's just a fad or a trend in her life, a, a phase. Or is this really someone with these thoughts, right? Right, right, absolutely. And, and I think art therapy plays an important role on identifying different types of dark areas of those who are thinking of doing dark things. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. With him, you know, they're just at the age where they don't like to talk a lot. They like their animation and they like their video games. And, you know, they talk to their friends through their video games. But with drawing, it's like you can pull them out of their shell. So it's kind of nice to play that part. Right. Exactly. In a video game, they're assimilating their emotions through fantasy. Mm-hmm. And what's really sad is that it can become addictive and it can become their persona, their alter ego. And then they will go again and do what? Do something dark. Yeah, and some of the now, games are dark. If you watch, like, right. so, some of the games are like, go rob the house and go rob this person. And it's very bizarre right. how some of it's psychologically um, mind bending in some ways. And I think not just that, but you have the issue of PTSD it can create in children when you when the shooting and stuff is too realistic, you know? Right. It's called, it's called desensitization to violence. Mm-hmm. And when you're sensitizing children to violence through PlayStation, through games, then they're disconnected. And what happens when you're disconnected? You become what? Antisocial. What does that tell you? I can kill someone and I don't care. Right? Yeah. So they, they, they turn themselves into psychopaths. They turn themselves into antisocial personalities 
because their parents are not saying, hey, let's get a pen and paper and do this. Let's get a toy and do that, right? Let's go outside and take a walk. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. We were having the conversation about the balance of mind, body, spirit. You know, we were walking mm -hmm. the other day and we were talking, he was talking to me about different things, you know, to take care of his mind because my sister teaches yoga. And so he has to go to yoga classes and she makes him do meditation and, and like, right. you know, he gets exposed to different things and he's like, okay, I could read different books, you know, just having him take the initiative to think about what does it mean to have a mind, body, spirit balance? Cause you know, as you become an adult, it's something that we're always challenged with is to maintain the balance. Right. You know? Right. And that's, that's what it's about. It's, it, you have to have, I, I say, if you want to be a whole person, you have to have your spiritual, physical, and mental intact. Okay. And when there's an imbalance of those three things, there's an imbalance somewhere that needs to be addressed and resolved. So what suggestions have you given to like clients or patients about maintaining their balance during the pandemic? Well, what I do is, uh, Let's talk, start with family first, because my two daughters are my favorite people in the whole world. Well, actually, my grandchildren are now. I love them a little more. No, I'm kidding. My daughters know. My daughters, right? My daughters know that if, when I die, that everything goes to them. They know that. Uh, because in our family, it's always the, the children, your children that get it, and they distribute it to the grandchildren. But my grandchildren are always saying, Nana's going to give us everything if she loves us more. But so to start with my family, um, to get that spiritual, physical, and, and mental balance, I'm always expressing to them the need on the physical for good nutrition, good, good healthy exercise, if you can. I can't exercise anymore because of osteoarthritis and cancer that I have currently. But when, it, you know, when I overcome uh, or when, when I can manage it better, I'll go back to, I love working out. So working out was always something I think was important. Another thing is my daughter loves to do art. And so one of the things for her being bipolar, my firstborn, um, art was her way. So I always did things with the kids that had to do with art since they were children. We always did Build-A-Bear workshop. We always went to the ceramic place where they could pick out whatever and we'd come home and do it. And Christmas, we decorated our ornaments ourselves. And every holiday, we decorated things through art uh, to celebrate the holidays. So I didn't want to buy stuff from the store, but I would go to Galleria and get whatever they wanted that would be uh, something they could make, like whatever ornament or whatever they could paint or, or do something with or build or whatever. And then we'd use that as the decorations for the house. Even the uh, garland was made out of cranberries, you know. Uh, we always did something very creative. And I think I did that more in, in remembrance of my mother uh, because I saw how very important art was in my life. You know, how, how much happiness I got and then when I did that one plate with mom the sense of accomplishment that I did something I've created beauty through art right uh, so yeah so I never wanted uh, you know I, I I wanted my kids to understand the physical and then the mental you know that's where art comes in again is they were able to get free of, of dad being gone all the time and mom being very busy but always there and 
And so uh, my daughter was bipolar, so nobody liked her at school and she had glasses and she was fat. She turned into an absolute beautiful woman. But back in those days, she was sort of an ugly duckling and people made fun of her and it was really bad. Yeah, so art was really helpful for her because I noticed when she did art, she was much more calm. and, And then when you talk about spiritual, well, mother was the icon in community about faith. I was on TV. I led led different groups of people to understand the difference between this faith and that faith. And then and then I began a journey of understanding three major religions by studying. And that was the Torah the and the and the Quran. So in order to, uh, I had a dream one night and it said I would help the Muslims back in 2000. And I said, um, how? I don't know any. And I, w- I felt sleepy again, back to sleep. And that same voice came back and said, go and read because until you understand what they understand, you can't help them. So I went and read everything there was on Quran, Muslim, Islam, and the whole thing. And as a result, um, have helped thousands of Muslims to adapt to our culture and to, to assimilate to some degree. We want them to have their own culture, of course, everybody should. But to be able to blend, and not only that, to help them understand our religion, uh, the other two religions, Jew and, and um, Jewish, you know, Judaism, Judaism and uh, Judaism and uh, Christianity so that they would quit putting them down. If they're killing us in their country because we're infidels yeah, and then and they were registered as criminals. Right. And so then we then they come here and they're just living with them. You know, we one of the things that I think was very important was to um, help them understand after 9-11 because after 9-11 we all you know people in this country who are not uh well well educated would want to hurt those who are coming over that were from those countries right so um you know so the point is again that it goes back to that's what i love about art therapy is that that is something that everybody it's universal like love it's Mm. universal like hate and and peace and you love and like and you know so if you can if you can channel that negative energy or channel your feelings through art then you can really help a mental health worker like myself to understand what you're feeling because sometimes you just can't talk about it if you've had a tragedy that's so horrific like coming home and finding your parents have been butchered, you know, you're not going to be able to really express that unless you're just a good talker, you know, that you're okay, that you have no feeling, right? Right. But if you are someone who loved their family so much and then they see something horrific happen, it's through therapy, like art therapy and play therapy, that we're able to really understand how, what, to what degree has this affected someone you know is it a mild degree is it severely where they may want to become a vigilante you know i mean there's just lots of things that art and art therapy comes into play that are very important for mental health and so uh it's an alternative therapy and it's a dang good one because sometimes they don't need medicine sometimes they need to just express themselves to understand themselves so they can move forward. Mm-hmm. 
well, even during the pandemic, you know, just let people purge it out, draw it out, draw it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, because there are people dying. There's people dying. I haven't, there's so many that I've met that have, a family member has died from COVID in their family, right? And the energy of grief is powerful. Yeah, it is. powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the it opposite is. of joy, but it's, it's powerful. And you need yeah. an outlet. Yeah, you do. And I think that, I think it's harder for people to want to talk to a professional, you know, but if you incorporate, hey, we're going to do some art therapy today. And then as they're doing the art, you can start to say, well, you know, that's interesting. You've got a tree with no limbs and you colored it black. Wow, that's cute. What, what, what was going through your head when you did that? And then all of a sudden we get the communication going, which gets the collaboration going, which they suddenly realize you what care. So those are my three secrets. By the way, I created that theory. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my one of my uh, main core values of my types of therapy that I I do. And by the way, I create my own uh, because I don't because we have a broken mental health system, mm. and because God just you know God the universe whatever you want to call it placed it on my heart to do things this way. Yeah, I believe it. So talk to me a little bit about the COVID testing. Well, the COVID testing is really cool because you get to meet. um, I researched all the CDC and all the government sides on what the emergency uses authorization uh, amendment was for so that I was totally legal, right? And uh, I think that's really important. A lot of people are doing the COVID testing out there and it's a scam. You know, I don't know. I don't understand why it would be a scam. Why? What are you going to benefit from doing that? I don't know. Maybe people are pretending they're a COVID lab and they're not. I don't know. I Maybe don't, it's even grants in the backside. I don't know. I don't either. It's on. You know, I looked at the Department of Public Safety website about CD about uh, COVID. I mean, there's not anything on COVID I haven't read, and also I'm certified. Uh, with COVID-19 through John Hopkins University and Hospital. So I went ahead and got certified. I'm not doing something off the cuff. You know, I don't agree that you should have just anybody swab people. I think that it should be somebody that understands the disease and what, what's going on in the community. And, and that's who I am. So that's why they're always trying to give me a lot of money to work with them because they can't get anywhere without me because they don't know. And that concerns me greatly. When you don't know, I'm like, hmm, what's wrong with you? You have a business and you know nothing. So I went ahead and discontinued with them because and created my own company called Hope Multicultural Services which is going to do uh, on your end, uh, therapist, uh, you know, outsourcing of therapies like art therapy, music therapy for other clinics like my own and that I plan to have in the future. Uh, For right now, the COVID testing is a new business. It's part of HOPE and the health and safety area of HOPE, uh, multicultural services, so that we can communicate to the community what is going on with COVID currently and how can we be of service to you 
by getting free testing, you know, and if you need to be traveling, we want to make sure that you have the best results, the fastest results. I can get your travel in three hours. Oh, that's great. I need to come see you then. <laughs> yeah. Again. Come on in. I tried testing negative already. I was coming again. <laughs> and also, we also want people to know that even if you've been tested and even if you've had COVID, you can get it again. The vaccine is not a guarantee that you're not going to get COVID. Mm-hmm. The vaccine is only a help to fight against the disease if you should have it or if you should get it. And I think that's where we're at here. What does this mean about the vaccine? What does this mean about the testing? Here's what it means. You need to be tested at least once every couple of weeks to make sure that you haven't been exposed because whether you're vaccinated or not, those vaccines are not at this time, they're still in infancy. So they're working to some degree, but they're not working all that good because we've got this part of the country right now that's vaccinated and their COVID deaths are rising. That's a fact as of yesterday, because I just looked at all of the demographic statistics of what's going on in the entire United States to determine, you know, where are we lacking? Are the vaccines working? What is going on? So in certain parts of the country, especially in the east, the, the, uh, the eastern border, right? Kind of a little bit north, a little more to the east, uh, they're having all the they have the most vaccinated people. You know how it was in the Civil War. It was right. the Northerners that were more educated than the Southerners. The Southerners are slow to progress. And you can't blame them. You can't blame them. They just want to hold on to what they know. <laughs> they just don't want to branch out to new stuff. That's all it is. We just like and taking our time. As we say, as we say in the South, God bless their little old pee-picking hearts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God bless them. But at the end of the day, it still goes back to uh, these people in the North had the first vaccines before we did. And yet their COVID deaths are on the rise. They have doubled. So we want to understand why that community who is vaccinated and vaccinated, you know, more 83% or whatever, where they're not in Texas like that, but yet that particular region has more COVID deaths than anywhere else. And they're vaccinated. I wonder so, if it's also because of the climate, because it gets so cold up there. Right. Well, if the weather I, plays I, a part I, of that. Right. But you can say if we go to Deer Park in Pasadena, the climate over there is pretty damn dangerous with all the chemicals in the air. Why aren't we getting it there and getting a double in deaths? Right. So there's there is a reason that is a theory. Maybe it makes them sterile. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> that's what it is. No. <laughs> you're funny (laughs) so again it goes back to um, I care about my community I recognize I'm a person in environment I recognize I am a valid part of a unit called community and I care about people and if we don't have people who are going to stand forward and, and, and lead the path to to the promised land in other words a land of better than what they have now right better than what they're existing and now teaching them to thrive instead of survive whether it be in the area of health mental health or spiritual health right physical mental spiritual right and so i just happen to be somebody who has that knowledge and is willing to share it 
for the benefit of others, not for a price. Because, you know, I'm doing this interview today because I care about your situation, about your needing to get the word out um, because I care about the community. And, and, and now that you told me why you're doing it, it makes sense for me to be in the interview or to be interviewed because I am one of those people who want to lead the pack forward to not surviving COVID or their personal situation, but to thrive in their personal situation and in their public Sure. That's what I love about art too, because there's just so many different types of art. Because theater is art, dancing is art, you know, architecture. There's so many different outlets for people to work out whatever they want to do. And I was reading the Hippocratic Oath. The original one actually considers medicine an art. Yeah, of course. Was really interesting. I was like, oh, it's also practicing medicine too, which makes it a little fun. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that I think it's a benefit to all ages as well. You know, children benefit, teens benefit, and adults benefit, and elderly benefit. Elderly have more time on their hands than anybody. And so if they can do some art therapy, it really helps us to understand how they're feeling. You know, uh, the ageism, which is happening now, is rampant. And, you know, there's like, I think it was 62% are committing suicide when they get too old. Wow. Yeah, because they don't have an outlet. But if they're going to a community center and they're doing art therapy there and 62%. You know, right. I'm just thinking 60 because 62 percent of their inheritance is about to go to the government. Right. Well, and I apologize. I have to double check those figures, but I know no, 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 I'm Yeah, 62 percent on the inheritance thing is 100 percent correct. I'm saying I probably put may have may did a trans uh trans uh transference here but uh it was a high number because i just got through with uh psychology with geriatrics and gerontology and that's what we were when i read that that there was you know i let's say let's let's say we know at least 40 percent uh, let's say 40 40 percent of so yeah that's the point the point is is they're isolated and they get depressed and major depression has the highest suicide rate of any disease. Yeah. Next is bipolar, right? When so, you have uh, the isolation piece, I mean, do you, I don't know about you, but I started calling people on like Facebook, people that I don't normally talk to. I just started calling people like so many a day just to touch base. Well, I think that, that we, uh, we need that and there's a, we can actually coordinate that effort. Uh, when I, you know, can't do that now, but I can do that if I had a group of people who were interested in being a real person in an environment that changes the community and makes a difference, makes that impact, and I could get people together to do that, I could pretty much tell you where we need to focus, how to get that done, you know, the logistics of saving lives or improving yeah, lives. Like calling a friend I mean, today. We're not this, right, we're not the savior. But what we can right. do by saving is offering them how to improve their life. Because typically people are committing suicides because their life isn't improved. They're just existing instead of living. And they're tired of existing because their life doesn't have any meaning that way. Correct? Yeah. Okay. So true. 
you know, and, and you know, when they're in nursing homes and they're isolated and with COVID, if their family isn't vaccinated, they can't go see them. So I know that affects them too. And, you know, there's also the gap with the technology because they may not always know how to use the technology, you know, to be able to communicate. Right. You know, the beauty exactly. of knowing how to use it is that you can communicate and call family and call friend day or, but with them, it's different. You know, it's like you, I, you know, like I was telling you, I had to call my grandfather and say, Hey, what are you doing? What do you do? Have they, have you been walking today? Who are you flirting with? He's flirting with somebody, you know? Right. That's all. <laughs> He's like, I like fresh meat here. He's like, I'm, I'm like the youngest man at the football. You're like 88. He's like, I know, but I'm still like fresh meat. <laughs> Ah, yeah. Chris, they all do, don't they? That's so a man for you. God bless. God bless the little old man. Uh, yeah, so, so again, it makes it better. right. And not only that, you know, what's really funny too is that if you have a stranger meet with them that becomes familiar, it means a lot more than a family member. Why is that? Well, because they're not going to tell a family member that, you know, they took too much medication yesterday. They're not going to tell a family member how sad they are that they're not getting a call from their grandchildren or that they feel forgotten. They'll tell you and I that, but they're not going to tell their family that. Right. So right. that's how important it is to have a uh, organized effort to help uh different groups different types of groups right different types i see that too you know even with young people i'm always like you know they don't want to listen to their parents but the parents always have a friend that you know might have a kid or another friend that'll talk to them you know because they don't always want to divulge the information mm -hmm. exactly i mean yeah and then we want to look at on that too the art therapy also for the mental health worker is a great thing as well they should go once a week because doing that togetherness with other colleagues is another way to release compassion fatigue mm -hmm. every week you know how many people i talk to darling i mean it's only the good word it's only uh hashem himself that keeps me from falling apart because I'm tired. I get burned out from listening to this and that and having to help. But mm -hmm. I know that if I don't help, these people won't get better because they don't have anybody else. I have several people this week that I did COVID testing with and gave them information more than just let me swab your mouth, right? Right. Uh, we should get this done, you know? And um, she called me. She was a 72-year-old African-American lady, just as sweet as she can be. She says, we need people like you. I said, well, I'm here. She goes, no. She says, we need you to tell people. She goes, everything you told me to do on the natural medicine worked. My family doesn't have symptoms anymore. The fire in their lungs, the, the cough, all of it went away in 36 hours from the remedy of cold-pressed orange juice and uh the fat in uh, chicken is natural antibiotic. So mm -hmm. I told him how to make a chicken soup and everybody in the, in the home had COVID symptoms. And that's why she was getting tested. And what I told them to do and exactly how I told them to do it, they did it and they all were relieved uh, within 36 hours. That's awesome. Right. So, but that, what, what is the difference between me and the swabber? 
it's that I care enough to tell people about the disease so they understand why are they getting vaccinated and how, you know, to tell others about it. Because until we can trace this, you know, we hope not just to the government and their need for money. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But seriously, until we can trace it, we can't. If it's government, then we need to know where we can trace it to prosecute. And if it's just something that's hit our community, like the flu vaccine did or swine flu or the polio or the tuber, you know, back in the old days, right? Right. And we need how to eradicate it. So either way, you, either way, you need to know where it came from and what, why it came there, right? Right. I think Dr. Dave, Dr. Uh, it's Dr. Martin that is running the lawsuits. Um, the patent, he's a patent attorney. And he's got all the research on um, where it came from when it was. Fossey's cat. Fossey's cat. Yeah, we're all. Interesting. I told, I'll tell you what I told uh, my dear and my best friend. And it was right when COVID started. And I was so mad about this just coming on us. And I was sort of, you know, I'm reserved to look at facts first. And I couldn't find, couldn't find what I needed. And so, you know, I had one friend who was a Trumpster. I call him Trumpster because they were very red. And then I had another one who was very liberal. And they were going at it. And I looked and I said, here, I got a great idea. Why don't we walk up to Congress, walk into Capitol and say, look, you're going to have to resign or we're going to have to throw you through that window. (laughs) 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 If you don't go willingly, we're going to force you. (laughs) right unfortunately that was you know that kind of that kind of calmed both of them down they started laughing mm-hmm. i said because any party better than the other we have a situation now and it doesn't matter if fauci caused it or the wuhan laboratory and everybody who's on the board is in congress or whatever it doesn't matter at this point people are dying yeah absolutely and that, right and without Without that piece of like art therapy, they can let them process the isolation, process the illness, process the symptom knowledge of what's going on or the fear, process mm-hmm. the fear, right? These are all ways that art therapy is such a blessing to the community and such a help. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it was interesting because I think it was like two weeks ago, was Dr. Luc Montager out of France had made announcements about the HIV and some of the vaccines and the toxicity level of the differences of the vaccines. And it just startled so many people because he was, he won the Nobel prize for discovering HIV. And he was telling the public that when um, Australia had the vaccines, they, they tore up their contract because in the placebos, half of their patients ended up with HIV. And he, he thinks that people are getting PCP pneumonia, which is very similar to the AIDS patient. It's just a weaponized version of it. And um, I mean, it just sent shockwaves. Like, <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, well, let's start painting, <laughs> you know? Right, exactly. And, and, you know, honestly, there's so many conspiracy theories out there that are actually valid, right? Mm-hmm. We have theories, we can't prove it because we're not in that inner circle Right. Stuff, right. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, if you look at the Epstein case, look how many people he was connected to to be able to run child pornography for how many years? 
Yeah, and that's you know what's crazy about that. That's is, a yeah, go ahead. Yeah, my you know my grandfather it just one even though he passed away the day before Christmas, they gave him the American Society for Photography Award, the Lifetime Achievement Award, while he was in hospice, and the ceremonies in January in Washington and pornography. Even when people like mention it, just makes me cringe because I can't. You know, when you come from the professional side of the industry, I just think it's so wrong to violate children. I, it's just. Even on any kind of moral ground, I just can't stand it. Right, right. But we have to go back to the basics of men. Men are maters and they're hunters. That's their basic primal instinct. So it's not unusual that eighty, you know, that uh, you know that they use women in whatever way they want to. Okay, and can we use them over the age of twenty-one? <laughs> right. You know what I mean. Unfortunately. It goes back to the Roman days. It goes back to the ancient days where that was an accept pedophilia. I did a whole research on pedophilia and I did a whole bunch of papers on it. And I'm telling, I did the history of pedophilia as a paper. And then I did some other uh, more current stuff that I hope to publish one day. By the way, if you look on the, uh, on the, uh, which website is it? Uh, my papers are actually encouraging other students. So I'm really happy about that. Something I'm really proud of. Um, so far, 78 students have improved their grades due to reading my papers. So one of them up there is called the history of pedophilia. And the history of pedophilia is the way men became, uh, there was a ritual among Europeans and among Africans and among Middle Eastern and East Eastern. So everywhere on the planet, the ritual was to have sex with children. And that made the child mature. And what's wrong, it actually probably screwed them up. Well, especially but, under the age of 13, because their their organs aren't even developed properly. Right. Right. Well, you know, most of Epstein's, I think, were more like 14. But still, 13, 14. I mean, look at R. Kelly. His were definitely 13 and up. But that's just disgusting, you know. Yeah, I just stopped supporting the music and the career a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know. When that busted out, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. no uh it, it's it's really sad uh to well, see it's cycles but, of but, abuse you know it's these toxic cycles of abuse right but here's here's the deal we're not gonna stop it it's gonna continue until till the world ends because there's evil in the world and that's that venue for evil and you're not gonna eradicate evil you have to yeah. learn how to, you have to learn how to reduce the numbers does that make sense okay. yeah well even like with human trafficking i mean it's it's yeah it's it's a it's a crisis it's another war yeah it is so you pick and choose your battles in life or where you can and are led to make a difference and i met you know i have bigger things to go later on right now i'm preparing for that because this is what i feel led to do right so or feel guided to do however you want to look at it or what I think is right. So my example of Epstein was to say there was an inner circle there for many years that were in power that could get away with that, correct? Protecting him, yeah. Right. And that's exactly what's happening with COVID. There's a, there's a community out there that says, you know what, population control, great. We'll unleash this. It's going to help us on the numbers. You know, I mean, we'll unleash this and people have to do that. And, 
you know, it'll make money for us. War makes money. Yeah. War makes money. War-based economy. Right. Every tragedy makes money for somebody. If you have a fire like in, why are all the fires happening in California? You want to tell me Smokey the Bear just disappeared and, you know. Now he's in Colorado. Right. It's all because why? If you keep the fires going, you keep the FEMA money coming. Mm. You keep the fires going, you have a need to keep all the firemen in business, right? You Mm. can't reduce the number there because you're needed because fires are happening. If you didn't have fires happening, we could pretty much put firemen as just EMTs only, right? And have just a few firemen because fires, you know, how, how often are fires happening in the forest? It shouldn't be at all. But those up there that were rangers, that were firemen, they needed a job. Who knows? Okay. Mm-hmm. So it goes back again to um, we can't stop evil. It's not going to happen. People are going to have disorders. People are going to uh, make money in ways that are greedy and illegitimate and corrupt. Right? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? You deal with that one mind at a time. And you deal with that by increasing the network of those who want to do good. How did Elliot Ness break down the mafia in Chicago? Now, my grandmother was born in Chicago. My grandmother was in the 20s in Chicago. My great-grandmother uh, was there and she was, you know, one of the highest society members and her husband was conductor of the Chicago Symphony. Mm. And her her next husband, when he died, was a councilman. But how did how did Elliot Ness stop Al Capone, who was running everything, suddenly turn Chicago back to let's say white instead of black? Right, black being the evil, white being. How did that happen? Let me tell you how that happened. It started with a few good men mm. who decided enough is enough. This is unconstitutional people it's it's against civil their own civil liberties and they didn't call it civil rights they called it civil liberties so people wanted to be human again people wanted what the constitution stood for again so elliot ness got a few agents together who hoover approved right and they went after them and they created scenarios to get them and they did and that's why Chicago turned upside down and the mafia broke down and could not control anything anymore. Mm. But that's what it's going to take now on the things of today. It's going to take a few good people like yourself and me who are going to connect with others to make something happen, not only on an individual level, but as a person in environment, a person in community to help the community learn what is necessary to thrive instead of survive mm-hmm. yeah or to give them the tools or to give them the tools to survive until they can thrive right mm-hmm. and then boost your health naturally if possible you know of course well without health you can't even be a person <laughs> you're going to be sick and that makes you less of a person because you can't do anything right right no absolutely right My name is Lex Lemaire. I'm a citizen artist with the United States Department of Arts and Culture. 
and this is the future Dr. T's poetic address for 2021. Sort of a poem. It's more like a motto or a, a you know a motto or, or a statement that could be poetic. The plight of today is the fight for tomorrow. So in other words, unless we're willing to get up and be like people who really care about America, about family, about friends, about their their personal belief system of a higher power or not. Uh, at the end of the day, if we don't fight, to, if we don't look at the plight of today and fight for tom- for a tomorrow for us, then there will be no tomorrow for us. And that's the poem. the The plight of today is the fight for tomorrow, for a tomorrow that we have one right, alleviating of less. A, a tomorrow of less corruption, less less of these uh, issues that are going on like they are today, so that we can help people who need art, need our assistance, and they always will, because that's another demographic that's never going to go away is those who need self care, right? Absolutely. So, so let's uh, let's continue to work together and partner together to be a person in community a person who can make that difference so that in a hundred years from now, uh, my children can say, you know, my mother, my grandmother, my family can say, you know, she cared enough to lead the parade. Just like Paul Revere, just like some of our great, you know, Thomas Jefferson, you know, James Madison and others such as Harriet Tubman, such as other Spanish heroes as well. Every color of the rainbow, we have heroes. Mr. Milk, who led the LGBTQ. So let's not leave out any group because you don't have to be democratic. You don't have to be a liberal to respect these people that make up a community, these people that are in environment. We have to we have to realize that they're all created and if all men are created equal such as our constitution then we have to respect everybody to gain respect and we have to give theories and ideas to push forward for a better tomorrow by looking at the plight we face today you're absolutely right well thank you so much for your time dr t god bless you thank you thank you for having me i sure appreciate it It was fun it's a lot of fun Thanks for listening to Charity Network News with Lex Lumiere. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out online or please leave a review. Join us again next week. Until then, focus on creating solutions and making a positive impact in the world with your presence. Be kind, volunteer, pay it forward and keep shining your love light.